You're listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats. My name is Wes Boss. I'm a, let's let's introduce ourselves this time again, Scott. I'm a full stack developer from Canada, and with me as always is Scott. Say hello, Scott. Hey, my name is Scott Talinsky. I'm a full stack developer from Denver, Colorado. Beautiful. So today we are going to be talking about what's new in JavaScript. So there's all this like JavaScript, as we know, is a constantly evolving language. The language itself is always moving. Browser APIs are always moving. New JavaScript APIs are always surfacing themselves. We're getting new libraries and new ways we can use different libraries. It's, it's a really exciting time. So today we are going to go through, I don't know, 10 or so different new APIs, uh, explain what they are, when you might want to use them and uh, looking forward to it. So today's sponsor is Fluent Conf, which is an amazing web development conference down in San Jose and Netlify, which is Scott's favorite hosting company. <laughs> will not stop gushing about. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing good. I have this uh, this tea that I got from that fancy tea shop. It's oh, yeah. Blue People. It's like a sort of a, a rare sort of oolong, like Korean ginseng oolong tea. It's uh, excellent. Ooh. So I'm um, starting my day off right. How about Beautiful. you? Beautiful. I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, still enjoying the, the super nice weather. We had a, a pizza party at my house last night. The uh, Big Green Egg, which is the, the smoker that I have. It yeah. also has a, a pizza plate on it. Nice. And uh, I made uh, all kinds of amazing pizzas, so it was super fun to do that. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah. And uh, you are, do you want to talk about your, your studio at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I am in the process of building a studio. Uh, anyone who has followed me on Twitter for any given amount of time would have heard me complain about some of the noise that happens outside of my uh, office, which is uh, plentiful from the amount of construction going on in Denver overall, but to my neighbor doing things like vacuuming his patio two times a week, uh, <laughs> or dogs barking, or my dogs barking, or all sorts of noise that happens. So I am going to be building a studio uh, which should have some significant DB reduction. I'm going for isolation room here. So it, it should be absolutely silent when the whole thing is done. So uh, I'll, I should be posting, if you want to follow me on Instagram at stolinski, I'll be doing a lot of like stories showing the progress and stuff like that. I'm in the design phase right now. I have a contractor. I have a uh, my audio engineer friend is doing the design for me. And uh, overall, it should be really, really cool. I think at the end of it, I'm going to have my isolation booth take up about half of the room, and then the other half of the room, I'm going to do, 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 a, do like a design into the uh, like on-camera part of my studio that you'll typically uh, eventually see me at on my YouTube videos. For those of you who don't know, uh, I run a YouTube channel, Level Up Tutorials, so check out Level Up Tutorials on YouTube, where you can see a lot of these videos and stuff that I'm talking about, and so the eventual set and studio will be heavily featured on Level Up Tutorials, too. That's pretty cool. I'm so thankful that my office is relatively quiet. Uh, right now, my neighbor is cutting tile on their porch and my neighbor's house is almost touching ours. They're, they're that close. Yeah. And uh, Scott says he can't hear it at all, which is which is great. Um, I, th I think that's such a, a competitive advantage in what we do is quiet, being able to record whenever it is that you want. You don't have to worry about family or neighbors or any external noise that's going on. Are you bothering other people by talking? I used to share a, an office with my wife and I had to wait for her to like leave before I could actually record. And sometimes you're not feeling it and 
you you waste all that silence, right? Yeah. And right now I feel like I have this like gap. All right. The dog's not barking. My dogs aren't barking. The neighbor's not outside working because he works out outside all the time. Like, yeah, I have this window. Now I have to record. And so or, you know, Courtney doesn't work Friday, so she's home all day, which, you know, I don't want to tell her to be silent, but I yeah. do want to get stuff done. So it's just going to be nice to be able to 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 go inside my my soundproof isolation studio, shut the door and be able to record at any time, any time, anywhere, regardless of what's happening. I am psyched. That's pretty sweet. Swite. Swite. I was going to say it's sick and sweet. That's swite. Swite. <laughs> Hashtag swite. All right. Let's let's jump into it. Uh, I got all kinds of stuff in here. Which is which one do we want to start off with here? Let's do something fun. Yeah, let's do something fun. You want to start off with uh, your animation one? Yeah, uh, this is a library I had as a sick pick a couple of episodes ago, which is Pop Motion Pose or Pop Motion Overall. Uh, I really like this uh, this package a lot. The only downside of this package is that the docs are still growing. So uh, you might get to it and, and look at some of the examples and be like, wow, that's really cool. But uh, how do I how do I actually do this stuff? Basically, Pop Motion Pose is a new library that works in React or works in just standard JavaScript. And the, the JavaScript or the React version of this thing functions very much like styled components uh, where you do a pose dot and then your element name or could wrap around another component, right? And then inside of your string literal, instead of having a CSS styles, you define sort of locations or posed positions. So for instance, you could have a menu, right, which is the the closed position would be translated off screen. And then the open position is translated on screen. And then you simply are just passing what state this animation is into the React component. And that actually takes care of all the animations. So instead of saying, hey, this is active or not active, you're saying this is open or closed. And you don't have to do anything with CSS. It works really well with styled components. It works well with any sort of uh, other component or whatever like that. There's also some really excellent flip animation uh, techniques, which we've talked about flip animation a little bit before, but it's where you calculate sort of the beginning and ending position and then animate between the two. So there's just a lot of tools for really excellent animations. I just rebuilt the level up login system to use pop motion pose instead of just sort of normal CSS transitions. And let me tell you, there's some really cool stuff for really animating well on unmounting and mounting, which is in particular something that I found to be not so much fun is yeah. uh, animating the unmounting state and things typically. And CSS transition group and transition group for React gets you so far. Let me say the syntax for this is quite a bit better. So if if right now, if you, you know, don't mind having things not working or, or you know, really kind of crushing through it a little bit while you go through some examples. Pop Motion Pose is a really, really cool library. I've had nothing but really excellent results from these animations here. So I, I'm really excited to try to use it in a more thorough way, but I've been a big, big fan of this library lately. This is really cool because Pop Motion is just a, I'm just looking at what, because Pop Motion Pose is specifically for React, but Pop Motion itself uh, it says it's a Swiss Army knife for animators and interaction developers. So you can just use this with anything. It, it looks like you can tween from one thing to another. I know there's lots of animation libraries out there. Actually, uh, Val Head had an awesome talk at 
uh, conference I was in a couple weeks ago about all the different libraries that are out there for animating. But this pop motion looks really good. And it seems like you can just pipe the animation numbers out into any other library that you want. You could, it says you can pipe it into 3.js or React, A-Frame, Pixie.js. Yeah, so pop motion itself is really cool. It's sort of the animating the pose part is where you're setting up these different positions, like open and close sort of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And so that's not just React, but it, it can be. They have like a nice component for React. So you have this sort of like this pose where you're setting up your sort of like stage or whatever, and you're, you're, you're telling these different things to do XYZ, right? They also have a really cool animation for styling SVG called Stylefire. Popmotion has a, a bunch of pretty cool libraries. Overall, I think it's really interesting stuff. Next one I have here is Intersection Observer. I'm pretty excited about this one. So let me explain the problem first. So if you've ever had to build a website where something happens when you scroll into a specific portion of your website or you want like an element on your page to start auto playing or to slide in or slide out or to to fade in when you animate to a certain point you know that that's kind of hard because you have to listen for the window dot on scroll event and then when the window event scrolls then you need to check where your different elements are on the page and figure out if they are on page or not. So this intersection observer is a new browser based API that is based on observables, meaning that you can watch a whole group of elements. And what you can do is you can say, tell me when this element, it's a div or a video tag or anything is either on the page, goes off the page or is partially on or off the page. So you can set these little thresholds, meaning that like, Tell me when this video element is halfway on the page, 0.5, and then start to autoplay it. Or tell me when this add unit has totally scrolled into view and then record a, a view for it. And this is pretty cool because in the past, it's been very hard to actually calculate all this stuff. And it's a bit of a performance hit in the past. So I'm really excited about Intersection Observer coming to the, the browser. It's going to be really a performant because like, who knows better than the browser what elements are actually on the page? Because because the browser has to paint these elements to the page, right? So check out Intersection Observer. I'll link uh, up to the MDN docs uh, in nice. the show notes. Dope. Uh, this one is uh, an announcement that happened at the Zeit Day conference that I, I was speaking at a couple weeks ago. And uh, this is a new library, and it's called MDX. Now, MDX is a new full-featured loader for JSX in Markdown. It's kind of interesting. So it sort of turns Markdown files into components, and you can move your components from Markdown file to Markdown file and then use them as sort of JSX inside of a Markdown file. So you could see what looks like an HTML or a React element just plopped down in your Markdown file and that could be any sort of reusable chunk, essentially making Markdown into something that's way more extendable than it's ever been before. You could think of this being really super useful in creating really nice readmes, or perhaps you're in like a blog system and you're using Markdown files for your blog posts. You could be using shared sort of content between different blog posts, or perhaps there's a, uh, just sort of maybe uh, different content that you want represented in entirely in Markdown. Now, right now, this is a loader for Webpack specifically, there is an issue queue to integrate it into Parcel as well. So who knows what the future of this is other than outside of Webpack, but it's really sort of super cool. It's not something I think anything else is doing and uh, just opens up a lot of, you know, possibilities for markdown files that are used in sort of a, a different way. 
Totally. that Because that's always been a bit of a limitation to using Markdown is that there was no real include structure to include stuff. Like if you were writing a blog post, you wanted to pop in a graph or a YouTube video, or maybe you wanted a table that shows browser compatibility for a specific tech and you wanted to just include that into your blog post, you could just pop in these React components right in, in line. So this is pretty cool. I, I probably will use this when I'm redoing my own blog post or when I'm redoing my own website, because I, I need something exactly like this. And it comes from Zite. And as we know, we're big fanboys here. Anything that Zite puts out, they put out now and next, next which is the, yeah. the React framework. They put out Hyperterm. So it's it's likely that I will absolutely fall in love with this. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. When they announced it, I was instantly <clears> like, oh, yeah, that's useful. I don't know why that hasn't existed before. Cool. <laughs> Wicked. My next one along the same lines as intersection observer is resize observer. So another question is, how do you know when an element on your page has been changed size? And right now, the only way to do that is to you either run a timeout and you check the size of an element every, I don't know, a couple hundred milliseconds, which is really bad for performance. Or you listen for window resize. And then when that happens, you check if your elements have resized. And both those aren't really great solutions because we're starting to move away from what we talk about as like viewport based design, meaning that like, uh, okay, the, the screen of this device is a certain width. Then when, when that happens, these components are going to be this size. However, not everything has to do with how big the screen size currently is. It should have to do with how big is the, the component currently. So uh, I did this in a talk and I gave an example of like you have a video on the left and on the right hand side, you have a list of a video sort of like YouTube does. If you have a playlist open on the right hand side and depending on how wide that playlist of videos is, you want to style it in a couple different ways. And uh, ideally, this is going to be something called element queries where we'll be able to use CSS just to apply CSS to things based on their current width, or uh, if you have a component that stretches across the whole width of your website, you want it to look different than when you put it into a footer and it's a third of the width of the website. So Resize Observer is going to allow us to watch elements for when they resize themselves. And then when that happens, we can apply and unapply classes or do anything in JavaScript to those elements. And I, what I'm using this for is just waiting for the actual element to resize itself and then applying a, cl a class of small, medium, large. And then at that point, I can jump into CSS and, and style them differently, small, medium, or large. Yeah, and if you're using styled components, you could just trigger different props into that component and have different states for there. I, I think the, the possibilities that this opens up for element queries is pretty sick. I, I've always been a big fan of that idea of element queries, right? Like, because mm -hmm. why would the window, you know, something's its own size should just, to determine its layout rather than like the window size specifically of an individual item, right? So element queries are something that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so using something like Resize Observer for that seems like a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited about it. And hopefully it's a bit of a stopgap solution because the yeah. ideal world, we would have no JavaScript involved in, exactly. in how our things look, right? So for now, we have to use it, but maybe just CSS in the future, crossing my fingers. Yeah, definitely. Something that I'm, I'm hoping comes in. Cool. So this next one 
is going to be uh, something that has existed for a little bit here, but a lot of people still don't know it exists. In fact, when I used it in my Gatsby series, I think a lot of people were surprised to see that this thing exists. And I, I think for good reason, the browser support isn't great. However, there is polyfills. I'm talking about the Web Animations API, which is a great way to work with animations in JavaScript natively, which is just basically a really nice way to set up, again, different animations. And then you can have them essentially saved as a variable and you can tell your animation to play or pause or reverse or it gives you a lot more control over things because, well, it's a, a native implementation of animations, right? So instead of just changing classes and having a CSS transition or animation do its thing, you can sort of full control over what's going on here. And again, if you took my Pro Gatsby course, you probably got to see these things in action and saw how just how generally impressive they were or nice to use. So I'm a big fan of the Web Animations API. That said, support is a little rough. Safari, not so good. iOS Safari, definitely not so good. Firefox has full support. Chrome has partial support. And Edge and IE are like totally red. So the good news is, is there's a sick polyfill out there for this called the web-animations-js. It's just a polyfill to, you know, get all those browsers up to date. So if you want to use the Web Animations API today, use it with the polyfill because there is really sort of bad, bad, bad browser support right now. I'm pretty excited about that one as well. Again, polyfills are needed. It's always a, we should probably state that a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today, we know that it's not in every single browser. There's always some sort of Debbie Downer that comes out swinging anytime you talk about anything new. But when can we use it? Yeah. Oh, but it's not supported in this. Like, oh, thank you. Or on the flip side, there's always the people that ask me what it's supported in. And I just want to be like, can I use .com? Check it out. Yeah. Stop asking what is supported in because... You should be able to look this stuff up. No problem. Right. So, yeah. Can uh, I use couldn't it. be any more intuitive. It's a beautiful, beautiful website. Yeah. If it's not on there, you likely can find it either in uh, what is it on MDN. And if that's not if it's not there, it's probably just a, an experimental API, which has not been confirmed to be in the browser. Sometimes browsers will implement these things like here. My next one is the face detection API. So this as far as I can tell, this is just an experimental API. It's not a browser standard just yet. But sometimes the browsers will implement these things just to say, hey, this is kind of how we were hoping it would work. Uh, and then they'll sort circle back and go through the entire process of standardizing it and making sure that all of the different browsers can implement it. So this new API is the window.face detector API. And I assume that this is going to be expanded into all of shape detection APIs. Maybe you could feed it custom data sets of learning how to detect if it's a, something is a hot dog or not a hot dog. Uh, <laughs> If you, you watch Silicon Valley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the new season, but the hot, hot dog, not hot dog was like, I think, a high point of the series. Yeah, very good. Anyway, so the way that this works is that you uh, create a new window.face detector and then you pass it an image tag and it will return to you uh, an array of faces and it will tell you within those faces where the eyes are and where the mouth is. Uh, these things are called landmarks, which are kind of interesting, which leads me to think that it's not just going to be for faces, because if they call it a landmark, yeah, uh, they keep might it be, general enough. That yeah, it could just exactly. Be like image detection API. That's what I'm thinking. It will eventually be where you'll be able to, to pass it in. But I, I tried it out. I, I sent a tweet out 
where I passed it just a, a photo of me and my family and it detected all of our faces, all of our eyes and, and the mouth, which is pretty cool. And then I thought, well, and this is something I did years ago, I thought, well, what can I also pipe in a video element? Um, and I can't remember if I just piped in a video element or I piped in a canvas element. Mm. I think what I did is I took a snapshot and piped it into a canvas element and then and then it would give me real time face detection and it works really, really quickly. So it follows my face around the screen. No problem. It gets bigger and smaller as I move back and forth. And then what I did is I thought, OK, well, it tells you where the eyes are. It doesn't tell you where the tilt of the head is. So if you tilted your head, it would just keep a straight box on it. But then I remembered, I, I don't know if you remember from math class. Do you remember like what A squared plus B squared it, equals C squared? Is that the, is that the Pythagorean theory? Yeah. Yeah. I had to figure out what the hypotenuse of something was. And I, I found the. It said Pythagorean. Yeah. I think it's like <laughs> a, that cake. Pythagorean. Pythagorean. There's something in JavaScript called like A cos 2. And it's this like built in equation. I have no idea how math works, but yeah. I wanted to know if I have the location, the X and the Y of my eyes, can I figure out how many degrees my head was tilted? And I use that to figure out uh, the tilt degree. And then I could use CSS to rotate the, the the eyes and everything. So I'll put the code that I have up on GitHub. I probably will do a little uh, YouTube video on it at some point as well. I think uh, this is really fun, uh, especially if you're feeling a little bit burned out, bummed out on what you're working on right now. Take a little uh, break, write, I don't know, 60 lines of JavaScript and you can build the little face detection yeah, uh, API. Like webcam projects are always like really one of those things that when you're feeling burnt out, it's always fun to just sort of grab some example that already exists and then mess with it or, or play around with some new APIs like that. Always a yeah. lot of fun. It's so much fun. I love it. So uh, if you feel like you are really getting a lot out of all these different new APIs and new libraries that we're going over in JavaScript today, you might want to check out the Fluent Conference in San Jose because the Fluent Conference is going to be the place where you can hear from all of the most amazing people in our industry uh, talk about all of their latest and greatest things or projects or libraries or different APIs, and you can totally expand your brain even further. Yes, yeah, so the O'Reilly Fluent Conference is happening on from June 11 to 14. So the first two days, they've got some training. The second two days, they've got tutorials. And the conference happening is happening in San Jose, California at the San Jose Convention Center. And I would highly recommend that you check this out. I mentioned in previous episodes that I've actually spoken at Fluent Conference before. I was hoping to go this year and speak at it, but it didn't work out with some other overlapping conferences that I had. Uh, but if you are looking for a couple days just to sort of download the information of a whole bunch of experts into your own braid and um, get up to speed with what's going on in the web development uh, community, I would say that you should check out a Fluent Conference, book your hotel, book your flights, grab a ticket to this because it's always a good one. They have some amazing speakers. Go to the uh, O'Reilly Fluent Conference website and just peer through the uh, huge grid of different speakers that they have. I went through different speakers in a previous episode. Burke Hall, and he works on at Microsoft on some of the VS code. I'm just going to grab a, a couple of random people that I know from here. Patrick Hammond. I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, Valhead, who I talked about uh, just a couple of minutes ago. She does a lot of animation stuff. She does some awesome workshops as well. Some really good titans of our industry are going to be speaking at this thing and you should check it out. So uh, use the code syntax for 20% off and enjoy the conference. Nice. 
yeah, that that seems like it's going to be a, a good one. Yeah, it's always hard to like pick which conference that you're going to. And this one has a high probability of you enjoying it just because there are so many speakers and so many tutorials that's going on there. So there's a likely a high likelihood that there's going to be something there that you will get extreme value out of. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So this next one is going to serve to eliminate a problem that a lot of people sort of, I guess, have issues with. It definitely is a point of security on a lot of websites. And I'm talking about the payment request API. So basically, the payment request API's goal is to eliminate checkout forms. And it's meant to do it in a way that sort of allows the platform to take over the sort of checkout process. And this is a nice thing because, well, I mean, you're handling secure information and you're handling, you know, people's data that they obviously want to take very seriously. You know, Mm -hmm. they're entrusting you with their credit card information like uh, Wes and I both do. And this will allow the platform to handle it in a way that is uh, basically, one, the interface will be nicer because it's, again, the platform can handle a unified interface. But two, I think more secure or less less likely for someone to write some crappy code that gets abused. Yeah, I should also like kind of interject here. It is going to be more secure and part of it, but it also at a very basic, this Web Payments API is actually just a glorified autofill, which means instead of you typing into a form, you just a Chrome or or Android dropdown or or something will pop up on your your device that is native to the browser or, or native to the device. And then it will say, do you want to give your billing information and your your shipping information to this website? And at a very basic, it will just dump an object of credit card data to the user. And then the user then takes that and sends it to Stripe or to Braintree or to Authorize.net. Yeah. But that's I guess that's sort of a stopgap solution because it's kind of like a nice uh, standard autofill. But ideally, which is what Scott's talking about here, is that the Web Payment API will be way more secure because the way it's going to work. And, and this is how Apple Pay works right now, is that your browser, whether it's Google Pay or Apple Pay or, or something on the device, it will then charge it and make a token. Sorry, it will not charge it. It will make a make a Apple Pay token or a Google Pay token that is good for charging a credit card for 40 bucks. And then what you do with that token is that you take that token to Stripe or to, to PayPal or to somebody that supports Apple Pay or Google Pay or Alipay or any of these. Exactly. You take these tokens and you say like this token, I was told I could get 40 bucks if I give you this token. So like a drink ticket at Mm -hmm. a wedding or something like that. And then what happens is that Stripe or Braintree or whatever will, will process that token and then give you the money. And that's awesome because that means you as a web developer never have to touch credit card data. It's just one-time use tokens. And also that means that you as a, a consumer never has to give your credit card to a sketchy website, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, because that can sort of be the wild, wild west, especially with older sites. You have no idea what the back end is like. In fact, when we took over a freelance project one time and uh, we were doing their the client's I'm not going to reveal this client, but we were doing this client's sort of e-commerce solution and we were getting them up into being PCI compliant and all that good stuff and starting with a sort of modern thing. And their current system 
I almost don't even want to tell you what it was doing. It was sending credit card information in plain text to an email to the guy who was writing down their information and then charging it by hand in their system. And the whole thing, like I, when I saw how the current system worked, I was just like, oh no, like this is bad, bad news. So when we ripped it all up and we had the whole new way of doing things, it was a huge adjustment for them because they're like, why can't I just use my current credit card machine to enter the card numbers anymore? Because that is totally wrong. Like (laughs) you should not be doing that. That always blows my mind that that is how it, it works for a lot of people. Like we bought new doors for our house and the person comes over and takes out a photocopy sheet writes down my credit card number on the sheet yeah. flips it flips it over writes down the like 3 C, 3 number CVC and then like takes that back to their office and charges the credit card I was like you could just go online you have everything and you could go online and start running amok with my credit card and get, how is this how it works yeah get the stripe reader or the square reader or the the paypal yeah. reader whatever just plug that into your phone you got a phone just plug it in and swipe the card i mean uh this modern technology has like really sort of blown the doors off of e-commerce stuff and, and turning it into a much more uh, obviously secure situation but there's so many old sites and old this and that and old ways of doing things that just need to not happen anymore yeah this it's it's something like a lot of these brick and mortar businesses still they don't do credit cards properly either like i we bought some this is like totally aside but as i'm outraged we bought some wallpaper that never (laughs) shipped and i wanted to get my money back for the wallpaper and they're like they told us to come in and they could do the refund (laughs) and i was on the phone i was like i was like i work with credit cards every single day i understand how this works and you can refund it without me driving across town. And they're like, oh, no, we can't. So I was like, all right, well, charge back, charge back. One, yeah. two, three, charge back. And it was funny how quickly they uh, figured out how to refund my money after that. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyways, what do we got next here? This one is I'm pretty excited about is the INTL. I didn't even know that this was a thing. There's a global in in the browser and there's a global in, in Node called INTL. INTL, which is, I guess, stands for international. Um, And on that, there's a method called number format. And uh, I was alerted to this because I tweeted out about this string method called to local string. And what to local string will do is it allows you to take a string or actually a number as well. This is I think this is a method on numbers as well. And then it will convert it to formatted currency, meaning that you could pass it a thousand dollars or a thousand dollars and fifty cents and then or a thousand dollars and fifty four three cents like where it's like round it's still not rounded and then you could take that and then format it into a local currency that is in this, this sorry this will not convert currency but it will format it with the proper commas or the the periods or the decimal places and the like the euro sign the pound sign any any currency that you are looking to use and this is awesome because i used to use all these like annoying regexes yeah to actually do that it's so annoying typically to do this so i use this on my own website where I format my products where I want to say if it's $50 even I just want to show dollar sign 50 but if it's $50 and 34 cents I want to show $50 and 34 cents right and that wasn't always super easy with these like stack overflow functions that I used to copy and paste so moving over to this to local string slash international that number format they do the same thing apparently the better one to use is intl that number format uh, and then you can pass it which currency you want. So you could pass in like a, a country code, 
or a language code, sorry, like uh, German or Canadian French. And if that cur- if that locale uses dots for their thousands and commas for their cents or, or the flip side, which is what we use in North America, which is commas. And then your decimals are, are using a period. It will format that properly. So big fan of it. It's not great. It's not supported super well. And in Node world, it doesn't come with all of the different languages by default. But I was going to say, it looks like it's supported pretty well. Yeah, there's there's some inconsistencies across browsers, which, of course, is always happens. But if you're just formatting, I know a lot of you are from North America. If you're just formatting Canadian or, or U.S. dollars or I guess American, any anyone that's using commas first and then uh, decimal for, for cents, it works great across the mm. board. And I've been super happy with it. Yeah, this is one that I'm, I'm so surprised that it's not more frequently talked about. And like even if you were to Google something like format currency and find the stack overflow post for something like this it's like not mentioned people just don't talk about it so i'm, I'm pretty psyched to see uh, that this kind of thing exists and uh it just makes those those little things that you have to write your own solution or whatever man it makes that significantly nicer so I, i'm i'm really excited about this one it, it's sort of like not a not a sexy one but it's definitely uh very very super useful super handy super handy yeah okay so I have another one that's going to be, uh, I guess, super handy. Uh, I don't know if you've you know, ever tried to work with big, big, big numbers in JavaScript, but the math does not always add up if you're working with big numbers, and that's because JavaScript does not support what's called big ints, big, big integers. So what's cool is that on May 2nd, V8 announced that they are adding big ints to V8. If you don't know what V8 is, it's the engine that is that Node runs on, right? Is that how you would say that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, V8 is the the engine that is behind Chrome, and um, they ripped it out and put it into Node as well, which is why we got Node.js on the server right. side. So we are getting big ints, and big ints as well are coming to ES whatever, most likely, ES next. They're currently in stage three. Uh, the proposal is really sweet. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, but basically, it's going to make working with big integers, big numbers, much more of a viable thing. Because right now in, in JavaScript, that's always been a point of confusion for people who are new when they uh, go to do some big math and find some things not adding up correctly. Yeah, and I have actually never, never in my life have run into a situation when I would use big ints. Have you, Scott? No, <laughs> but, but I haven't worked with big data. You know? Yeah, me neither. But I, this is fairly common when you are doing like computing, maybe running Bitcoin in the browser. You're doing graphics. A lot of 3D stuff often needs this. I've run it into if you ever try to loop over pixels in a canvas, you'll oh, yeah. know that for every pixel you get four numbers. And in that case, you need a, a special kind of array. I didn't even know this existed, but I forget what the name is offhand. But if you have an array that is absolutely massive, like millions of entries, then you need a special kind of array. And I could imagine if you're doing a lot of graphics work, you'll run into the need for doing that. Nice. Yep. Big int. Maybe uh, maybe one day when we're adding up Scott's bank account, we'll need a big int. Big ants. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that, a, that's the dream. <laughs> that would be a good sticker. Big int. It sounds like a rapper. Yeah, it does. All right. Next one we got here is, uh, actually, I got kind of two here, which is the, the speech detection and speech text-to-speech. So in my JavaScript 30 course, these are two APIs that I've used just because they're 
along the lines of just being real fun yeah. and, and doing an amazing amount of work with a surprisingly little amount of code. So speech detection will allow you, you to listen in on a microphone and it will take what you're saying and stream it into words. It's pretty cool because it will give you you can listen for the the word streaming in. And you know how when you talk into Siri, it, it sort of tries to type what you're saying as you as you are saying it and then it will fix it depending on the words that you say after it will do this in the browser as well so you can stream these words in and show them on the actual page until you get an end event and then at the end event it will give you the entire sentence of what it thinks that you actually said it will give you other sort of options of, of what words that might not have been done properly and it works pretty well you can also pipe in different accents that the person may have and it will try to account for that i have had some i think it was in uh some African countries where people people were trying to speak English to it in a, a, one of one of their accents. I forget which country it was in Africa, and they said it didn't work very well. But for my Canadian accent, uh, it worked fairly well. And I know that there's a bunch of British people taking the course as well. It worked pretty well for them. Hopefully that will get better for all all accents around the world and, and all languages. And then on the flip side, we also have text to speech, which you can then take text and and simulate it into actual words. So uh, it's pretty cool. If you use Chrome on a Mac, it comes with something like 60 different voices that you could possibly use because these voices are all built into OS X. If you just use Chrome on Windows or, or something else, I think there's only three or four different voices. So uh, if you want to speak back to the user, you can have control over two things, the pitch, and the speed and it's it's hilarious it's a lot of fun because uh, you can say like hello my name is west boss and uh <laughs> or you can pipe emojis into it in the in the course javascript 30 we go hello my name is west boss poop emoji <laughs> and then you can do it really like hello my name is wes uh so if again if you're having a bad day put this on the <laughs> shelf and, and stop right now and do some text-to-speech because it's absolutely so much fun to to play with the pitch and the uh the rate at which the person speaks yeah do you know what i use this for i i use this for uh in my my b-boy tools my breakdancing tools app oh. that I, I i frequently recommend or i talk about on this it, it's an app that i made to help me like do practice tools right for while i'm dancing and so a lot of times when you're dancing it's easy to sort of just like get lost in in sort of what you're doing and so i made a tool to help me like explore creativity and the app because I'm usually playing my my speakers or my sound through my computer into like a, a speaker system, right? Yeah. So then I have the app set up and I'll hit go on this 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 thing I call the the comboizer, and the comboizer is going to shout out two move names. So I've entered all of my moves into this move book, and then the app actually speaks out the move names. It'll be like windmill to this, <laughs> this or that. And then I'll have to do that move combination. And basically what it does is it gives me two moves that are like totally separate. And I have to come up with sort of a transition between the two. And then that way you uh, always have transitions yeah. between everything. It's like sort of like a tool to get you out of your normal mode of practicing. But there's a billion things you can do with this stuff. I mean, I have a robot shouting at me breakdancing moves while I'm dancing. It's pretty sick. That's great. Yeah, it, I just think of all the things that you could add speech to where you're not necessarily using the application when you're sitting in front of a computer, it would be awesome to have it speaking events to you rather than just visually showing them. Yeah. Hey, you know what else is awesome is Netlify. Uh, oh, it's also hold on. I got a better transition for this. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't do it for you. 
You know what also makes Scott dance? Oh, yeah. That's Netlify. A good one. Netlify does make me dance. I love Netlify. Netlify is an excellent modern host that gives you all in one workflow that combines global deployment, continuous integration, and HTTPS with a whole bunch of excellent features. I mean, you know, HTTPS is something that's sort of a given now. You sort of have to have an SSL, if I think, pretty much any time. And so the fact that hosting companies like Netlify make the process of having an SSL certificate on your site absolutely painless is one of the uh, most absolute unsung benefits of something like this. So you get all these awesome features straight out of the box, like AWS Lambda functions, right? That make working with server uh, serverless style functions extremely easy. Something that basically is constantly sort of a hassle if you've ever tried to do any sort of serverless functions, uh, working with AWS, the interface, blah. Ooh. So Netlify takes all of that stuff out of there. It makes it super nice and easy. There's also the new identity feature that allows you to manage signups, logins, password recovery, all without having a server component to your website. And there's also a great new forms feature that allows you to submit contact forms that, well, they can't, they're not just, they don't just have to be contact forms. These forms will submit a webhook somewhere. They'll ping Slack. They'll send you an email. They'll do all sorts of stuff. So it basically allows you to work with forms in a really excellent way uh, without having to have your own server side component. I mean, this is allowing you to do all of this stuff client side. And let me tell you, the Netlify experience is something you got to experience to understand because it is really cool. Just sign up, log in with your GitHub and push a new site. I recommend something like like a Gatsby site, or uh, you can check it out. Just just push it up, and you'll see how nice and easy this thing is because it automatically detects your platform and automatically writes the build script. And basically, you just sit back and relax. You click a few buttons, and you're deployed. So check out Netlify at netlify.com forward slash syntax and see why uh, this hosting platform makes me dance. Check it out. Wicked. And uh, it's funny how often people tweet us and this happens with a lot of our sponsors, which is thank you for doing that. If you try out one of our sponsors and you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it, let us know, because seeing people tweet about the sponsors makes the sponsors want to sponsor more, which is good for Scott and I, because then we can keep making these things. But so many people have been trying out Netlify and tweeting us being like, wow, it actually is amazing. I, I, I didn't, didn't think it would be, but it is. So yeah. check it. We get a lot of those. <laughs> All right. Next one we have here is let's talk a little bit about the state of ES6 modules in Node. So kind of one of the funny things about doing my Node course is that a lot of people email me being like, Wes, why did you not use like import and export default? And why did you use require and uh, module that exports in your node course? And uh, surprising, a lot of people don't know. Maybe it's just because they're writing a lot of front end JavaScript or they've always used Babel. There is no ES6 modules in node yet. It is currently being worked on. And I just kind of wanted to give everyone sort of an update about where it's at right now and, and, and what's going on with it. So current status of ES6 modules in node is that they are under a flag in node and there is an entire entire working group dedicated to implementing modules in the browser. And the reason why it's taking so long, it's been well over a year that they've been working on this, is that they don't want to, like, this is a huge thing in the language, right? And yeah. if they if they goof it up, then we're going to be living with it forever uh, for the next however long we're going to be building stuff in Node, right? So they want to make sure that all of the different implementation details 
are are tried out and tested and battle tested and, and made sure that everyone is is happy with it. And they've got different. They have this this committee that is just the modules committee, and they have people from the Node world. They have people from the browser world. They have people from all kinds of different types of programming, and they're making sure that their thoughts are heard on it. So where is it right now? Right now. They are currently at a spot where if you want to build a module in Node, you have to use the .mjs, the Michael Jackson script. So you cannot build an ES6 MJS. module, <laughs> the Michael Jackson <laughs> script. You have to use the .mjs extension, which most people, myself included, go, oh, really? Like you, you're you're making me new use a, a, a new extension if I want to use modules. That kind of like puts me out of my workflow because mm-hmm. I've been using .js on the client side. And now if I want to build a module for the client side and the server side, like if I want it to be used in both, I have to now use MJS in the browser as well, right? And that's because... In the browser, it doesn't matter what extension you have, but on the server, it doesn't know what type of file it is until it actually opens it. So some way to signify what type it is uh, needs to happen. And and that's why they're using the .mjs extension. And there's a lot of people are asking, like, why can't we just use like a .js like it was in CommonJS? And apparently the difference between there's a whole bunch of blog posts out there. I'll link up to them because it requires a there's a lot of people that are just sort of tweeting angry about it, but don't take the time to actually read into the technical difficulties that are happening. The difference is that uh, in ES6 module, you need to know the shape of an API before it's parsed, meaning that before it actually parses every single line of JavaScript in a module file, um, it needs to know what is imported and what is exported from that file. Um, and in common JS, which is the require, it parses the entire file first before it actually exports the values, I mean, which is why you can do dynamic exports and dynamic imports in a require JS or, or sorry, in a common JS environment. So that's kind of where it's at right now. A, a, most people are unhappy with it because it kind of sucks to have the .mjs. So there is a couple options. John David Dalton, who is the JavaScript developer behind uh, a ton of things out there, most notably Lodash. He has written this thing called ESM, which is a zero dependency production ready module loader. And you just require this thing before you run any of your JavaScript code in Node. Uh, and then it, it just works. So he's really pushing for if, if he can make a module that makes it work. I think that they can hopefully, likely make it work in in core node without it. And I think that he sort of made this thing to show them <laughs> it's possible and we should do it. So he's pushing real hard. He's on this committee. Uh, he's putting a lot of time into it to, to try push for just making it work. Like you shouldn't have to rename your files to .mjs just to make it work. And uh, they're, they're still still working on it. So if you have thoughts on this, make sure that you actually put in your, your two cents. It's all on github.com forward slash node.js forward slash modules. Uh, and you can attend any of the meetings that are happening and put in your two cents rather than just waiting till it's too late and complaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So interesting. Nice. Yeah, it's funny because um, in the, the Meteor system, your back end and front end are so linked that you don't ever have a separate configuration for your, your yep. build process. And because of that, anytime Meteor's front end was getting a feature in its build process, 
or Babel plugin or whatever, you automatically got that on the server. So I've been using the import syntax on the server for, I don't know, the entire lifetime of the level up site because it's been there in Meteor this whole time. And, and so it's like funny for me because I've almost been just ignoring all of this information because I haven't even had to touch the require syntax because I haven't even had to think about it, to be honest. So uh, it, it's nice to to get a uh, sort of an update on where things are now that I, you know, I haven't been paying attention, to be honest, because I haven't had a reason to. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can just babble your entire back end if you want or, or run it through uh, this ESM or not run it through ESM, but require this ESM module first and then everything will just work, which is great. Um, I, I can't necessarily do that for a lot of my tutorials just because these things are constantly in motion. Oh, yeah. And uh, what happens is that you use this like hot plug in one day and then six months later, it's like deprecated in a bad practice. I just and also like some teams don't want to adopt this stuff. They want to do everything as close to core as possible. So hopefully this will all resolve itself in the future. There's a lot of smart people working on it and looking forward to it being uh, all wrapped up. Yeah, dope. Uh, do you have any other things that you want to hit on? Because I'm all out. I think that's it. I, I think that's it. We'll probably do another one of these in six months or so as, as new stuff starts coming out. But if you have new stuff that's coming to the language, make sure you tweet us and we'll put that on the list for the next show. Dope. Wicked. What about a sick pick? You got a sick pick for me today? Yeah, I have a sick pick. And this sick pick uh, has influenced me in a couple of different ways. A lot of people have probably been seeing this thing being passed around right now. It's called Dank Mono, which is a yeah. new coding font. Uh, I really like it. It's at dank.sh. I've been using Fira code because of the ligatures. And uh, the things I love about fig, uh, Fira code is the ligatures. But the font itself has never been my favorite aspect of it and so i figured i would try dank mono because it has all the the pretty arrows and equals and all those awesome ligatures that I, you know some people just really don't like i get it but i love having the arrow support and the ligature support in a font so for me the ligature stuff is excellent but this font on top of it looks very very nice it has some really interesting characters it all sort of fits together in a nice way and uh you know it's i've been using it for about 48 hours now as my main coding font and uh, I have to say I'm pretty impressed I really like the way it looks it makes looking at this very pleasant there's a whole lot of blog posts that they've done on, on how they made it and why they made their choices and I just happen to uh, really enjoy this thing uh, the thing I want to say about it influencing me is when I purchased it it showered me with confetti on the uh, loading <laughs> screen and I was just so I was like oh that makes me feel good I like that so I instantly went and added confetti oh to that's my, such a good idea yeah so i added confetti to my purchase flow and uh no regrets it's hilarious and i love it and uh it just changed the colors to match level up wow so i think what's also important to note about this font is that it has all of the italics that everybody asks me about oh, in yeah. operator mono so i get email every single day i get tweeted every single day what's that font with the italics that you use and then i say it's operator mono it's 200 bucks and then people say, oh, and then they either go steal it or they don't use it. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, uh, Dank Mono is running like 40 pounds. Yeah, which is about 55 bucks as we record, which is a, a fourth the cost of Operator Mono. It looks super good. I'm really excited about this because 200 bucks for a coding font is not worth it for most people. So this... Uh, this is pretty sad. Actually, I do have a question about ligatures. I've always stayed away from ligatures mm -hmm. because... I don't want the inevitable. I thought that people would email me being like, 
wh- what's the arrow character? Gotcha. Like, I don't understand it. Do you ever get questions about that? I haven't. I, no? I would have expected to have at least had one, and I have not. Interesting. Um, yeah, I have not. So uh, take that for what it is. But uh, no, I, I haven't had any questions about that. And I, I use them in all of my videos. I use them in all of my code. And for me, some people, you know, you'll get comments about like, I can't stand ligatures. But yeah, man, they make the code way more readable for me. I don't know what it is. I just like those symbols. Give me those symbols all day long. I'll take it. I want it. That's pretty cool. And on the same note, there is someone on Twitter. What's his? I'm going to find his name here. Kill a man. Oh, kill him. I'm probably butchering it, but he took operator mono and patched it to take the fear of code ligatures and put it in. So if you want oh. the best of both worlds, Dope. you can either just buy this font or you can patch if you're already using operator mono, uh, you can just patch it. But dank mono looking really dank. I'm probably going to try dank. this out myself. Yeah, it's like Colorado dank right there. <laughs> awesome. Uh, my sick pick. Oh, shoot. What was it? I had a good one. You got to write it down, bro. Yeah, I got to. I got to. I always do that. And then I, we start doing them and I'm like, crap, I had a good one. So my sick pick today, and this is something Scott sick picked a long time ago, is the ring doorbell. So uh, I've had a regular ring doorbell. I got it um, on Black Friday and it worked really well, except for the fact that what's it? The, the motion detection would trip way too easily because of the way that my front door is situated, it's pointed at the road. And anytime a snowplow drives by, which is every minute in Canada, <laughs> um, it would trigger the motion detection. And it was so annoying because I, my, your phone would buzz and my wife's phone would buzz and the, the doorbell in the house would, would, would buzz. And it would just be like, oh, another truck rolled by, right? So uh, the Ring Pro, um, full disclosure, I emailed the Ring and I said, like, can you send me a free one? And they did, uh, which nice. is kind of my nice. way of life. I always ask for a free one first. They sent me the Ring Pro, which allows you to you, allows you to, to set motion zones. So you could take the road out of the zone and just put my front porch on the motion zone. And uh, I got it all hard, hardwired in and it is working great. I think it's 1080p. It's really crisp. I'm very happy with it. So if you're looking for a doorbell, I definitely check out the Ring Pro. Nice. Nice. So if only, only if I thought the Ring Pro is such a dumb name. Are you a professional doorbell user? <laughs> well, of course you need the Ring Pro. <laughs> you know what I like about the Ring a lot is when it says you community updates. I don't know if you get those community updates. No, I don't. Like, we get we get ones that are like, I don't know if this is a US only or if, or what. I have no idea. But I because I didn't do anything to enable this. But it's like my package was stolen off my porch. And then it shows you that person's video and then like the general location of where it really? happened. Really? And there was this dude who was like really creepy and like multiple people had him. What he his whole thing was is that he would pretend to unload a big package. So it like took him a little while. He would unload this big package. Yeah. And then he'd set it on your porch. And then while he was doing that, he was like trying to break into your house. So oh. like people, you'd see him checking the windows and going around. And it was the same dude on like five people's cams and everyone like they found him. And then they sent the videos to the police, caught him. And yeah, he was in, he had been caught like several times before that for breaking and entering. So uh, I thought that was really cool to see. And I would see this guy and I would think he's delivering a package. It looks like he's delivering a package. But like to see that and be like, oh, man, that guy's creepy. This is what he looks like. And I got a little ping about it. Uh, it's pretty sick. That's really cool. I'm going to see if mine has. I don't know if anyone in my neighborhood. I live in a bit of a up and coming neighborhoods. So I th- 
think I'm the only guy that has a uh, $200 doorbell installed. <laughs> <laughs> what else was there? Oh, yeah. We got to do our, our show on uh, home automation just because there's so many different things that I'm talking. I'm, I'm trying to automate our watering right now because we like we're so brutal at watering our plants in the summer and they always yeah. die. So I ordered this like timer that you put on the hose and then it's and I'm setting up drip lines to all of our plants. And hopefully it's going to be this is such a developer way to approach plants, but like automating <laughs> the watering of it and the grass and everything. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, our, we have a drip line set up through our sprinkler system through all of our plants. And it was in there before we moved in. And I was thinking, like, this is great. I'm going to have to water this stuff. And guess yeah. what? It doesn't work for some reason. And, like, I'm just was way too busy last year to check it out. So this year it's been, like, my goal. I'm like, I'm going to figure out why this drip line's not working because I'm, like, manually watering our plants despite the fact <laughs> like that we have this sucker. thing. Yeah, right? Like, oh, I got to go take the hose out again, even though it's already hooked up. I just got to figure out why. Maybe there's a cut in the line somewhere. I don't uh, know. I haven't seen it. I mean. You got to. When did, did you buy your house before winter? Yeah. Oh, you know what? You got to blow it with compressed air before winter. Otherwise, it freezes and the line. Oh, no, no, break. we do that. No, we do that. Oh, OK, yeah. OK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Dude, I'm from Michigan. I'm from Michigan. We know oh, all yes, about the You know the about yeah. snow. I know about snow. That's another episode of Gardening with Scott and Wes. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Remember to cover your hydrangeas and water your snap peas. Yeah. Mm, we'll see you next peas. week on Community Radio. Mm, Peace. Peace. Head on over to Syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.